0: The Ron DeSantis Trey Gowdy interview. Let's watch. Mr. Reagan. So the other day, Ron DeSantis announced his candidacy for the president of the United States of America. It was abysmal. It was a disaster. It's what I call the DeSantis disaster. So I called my dad today and I said, "Did you listen to that? What did you think about it?" And my dad said, "No, I did not listen to." The Twitter announcement, what I did is I watched his interview with Trey Gowdy. And what was interesting about that is that he said the interview with Trey Gowdy was great, complete contrast to the DeSantis disaster on Twitter. And what's really interesting about that is that in the 1960s, when Nixon and John F. Kennedy had their first debate, people watching television thought Kennedy won and people listening to the radio thought Nixon won. And the reason was because Nixon refused to wear makeup, and so he looked sweaty, and he looked uncomfortable, where Kennedy looked calm, relaxed, and didn't look like he was sweating at all. But on the radio, Nixon sounded better. He sounded like he had a better grasp of the issues. He sounded more intelligent. He sounded great. Here, we see just the opposite. Ron DeSantis does not have a a great voice. He has what one of my fans called... A voice for print, which I guess is like a face for radio, which I thought was a perfect way of explaining it. You know, DeSantis may have great policies, but he doesn't sound great. His voice isn't amazing. So better to announce on a platform in which people can see you. So maybe it distracts a little bit from your your voice. And when you announce on the radio, you'd better have a dang good voice. And Ron DeSantis just doesn't. But I wanted to see this Trey Gowdy interview and compare it to the Twitter announcement and see how much better it was. So today we are going to watch in real time, for the first time, the Trey Gowdy interview, and I'm going to share my reactions. That in one moment. First, I have to sell you something. There's no denying it. Gold is hot right now. Prices are soaring and experts are predicting even more to come. Not so long ago, gold reached its all-time high of $2,069 per ounce. And now it's inching ever closer to that number once again. Bank of America, one of the largest banks in the world, is saying that gold will rise further still to over $2,200 an ounce later this year. So what? Well, gold is already a safety net for your hard-earned money, and now, when the stock market is all over the place and the value of the dollar is uncertain, being safe really counts like never before. Right now, Noble Gold is offering a 5-ounce America the Beautiful coin for any qualified IRA or 401k rollover. Terms apply. A solid silver U.S. Mint-issued coin celebrating our national parks free with every qualifying precious metals IRA or 401k rollover. You can't go wrong with Noble Gold Investments. Call 877-646-5347 or go to noblegoldinvestments.com. That's noblegoldinvestments.com. All right. So without further ado, let's watch this interview.
1: Governor DeSantis, if you broke Twitter, my daughter and the Kardashians are going to be very upset with you. I, I don't know if that's what happened with Elon Musk or not. Maybe he just had a big audience.
2: We had a huge audience. It did. It was the biggest they'd ever had. It did break the Twitter space. And so we're really excited with the enthusiasm. But ultimately, it's about the future of our country. Uh, Trey, I'm running uh, to lead a great American comeback. We know the country's on the wrong track. We see it with our eyes. We feel it in our bones. We see the border being overrun. We see crime infesting the cities. We see the federal government making it more difficult for families to make ends meet. And we have a president who is a listless vessel, uh, not energetic and not dealing with the key challenges that are facing our country. But it does not have to be this way. Our decline as a country is not inevitable. It is a choice. And I think we can choose a better pathway. And so what I will do is help restore normalcy to our communities, uh, integrity to our institutions and sanity to our society. Truth needs to be the foundation of everything we do. And common sense can no longer be An uncommon virtue, we proved it could be done in Florida. We chose facts over fear when it wasn't popular. We chose education over indoctrination. And we've chosen law and order over rioting and disorder. Uh, If we can do it there, we can do it for the country. And the pledge I'll make for people is simply this. Uh, We need to win again as Republicans. We got to dispense with this culture of losing. And if you nominate me, uh, I pledge to you that on January 20th, 2025, at high noon, that I'll be the guy on the west side of the Capitol, uh, with the left hand on the Bible and the right hand in the air, taking the oath of office as the 47th President of the United States. No more excuses. We've got to get this one done. And anybody that's so inclined to help us, I would love to have your support at RonDeSantis.com. If you make a donation, maybe we can break that part of the internet as well.
0: Okay. First impression. Two two things one he's miked he's got a good microphone that makes such a huge difference i think when he was doing the twitter spaces he was using like a like an iphone or something he was using like a smartphone maybe he had airpods or something like that whatever the microphone is that he was using it sounded like he was calling in to a sh- like a radio show it sounded like a phone call from like the 90s calling into a radio show the the quality was abysmal Th- this quality is clear He sounds articulate, and he doesn't sound like he's reading from a script. I don't know if he's got uh, a teleprompter in front of him, but it sounds like this is off the cuff. It sounds authentic. It sounds natural. What he was doing on Twitter is he was like reading this document. It didn't sound authentic. It just sounded like he was reading a document that had been prepared already, whether he wrote it or somebody else wrote it. It just didn't come across as authentic or entertaining or dynamic or interesting or anything. It was just dry and dull. This was great. And also the time that he spent speaking was relatively short, whereas when he went into his talking points on Twitter, it was just droning on and on and on without any kind of end to it. This format is way better. Trey Gowdy, he's not the best host in the world, but he's doing a great job here. He set up Ron DeSantis really well. I haven't actually watched Trey Gowdy in a long time when he first started, uh, Hosting a show, he was terrible. So I I didn't really continue watching him. It looks like he's actually become a lot better. This isn't supposed to be a review of Trey Gowdy's performance, but Trey Gowdy's doing great here. So he looks much more comfortable than when he started doing TV. And the interplay so far is fine. This works out really, really well. So already, this is fine. This is standard. This looks good. We can see Ron DeSantis. Uh, You can make that human connection of looking into the eyes of another human being. And uh, yeah, this works for me a hell of a lot better than the Twitter thing. The Twitter, the DeSantis disaster, as we call it.
1: GOVERNOR, YOU ANTICIPATED MY FIRST QUESTION, WHICH IS WHY. MY SECOND QUESTION WOULD BE, WHY NOW? You, YOU ARE VERY YOUNG IN TERMS OF POLITICAL YEARS. I DON'T EVEN THINK YOU'RE 45 YET. SO WHY NOW? AND WHAT DISTINGUISHES YOU from, FROM THE OTHER CANDIDATES? ARE THERE POLICY DIFFERENCES OR IS IT MORE ABOUT ELECTABILITY AND HOW YOU WOULD IMPLEMENT THOSE POLICIES EVEN IF YOU AGREE ON THEM?
2: WELL, WHY NOW? I THINK IT'S BECAUSE THE country's GOING IN THE WRONG direction. We have another four years of the biden administration Uh, i think some of the damage is going to be irreversible Uh, i think we have an opportunity now kind of like the late 1970s when jimmy carter was president uh, to really move the country in a much stronger direction uh, and really bring a lot of bold leadership to bear Uh, why me well i think what we've been able to do in florida is two things one we've had unprecedented policy success all the things that we believe as Republicans or as conservatives, for many, many years, we've been able to take those values and those principles and actually turn them into reality. Every single day, we put up big wins on the board. But we're doing that while also enjoying major political success. You alluded to it. We were able to win reelection by a historic margin, over 1.5 million votes. And you can't do that in a swing state like Florida just by getting Republicans. We were able to win counties like Miami-Dade County, which had voted for Hillary Clinton by 30 points in 2016. We not only won it, we won it by double digits. We earned 60 percent of the Hispanic vote. Uh, We won independence by 18 percentage points. And now, for the first time since the Civil War era, there's not a single Democrat elected in statewide office in the state of Florida. You got to be able to win. And then when you get in office, you've got to be able to deliver results. And I think we've been able to do both of those as good or better than anybody in the country.
0: Okay, this is why Ron DeSantis is going to lose to Donald Trump. He's not funny. He's not funny. I know that's a weird quality to point to, but that's really why. Ron DeSantis needs to be more interesting, more dynamic. He's referencing his accomplishments, which which is fine. Trump does that. Everybody does that. But without a little bit of humor in there or telling an interesting story or an anecdote or something like that. anecdote, Anecdote? Anecdote. I know how to pronounce words. Anyway, we sort of get lost. We sort of, you know, the eyes glaze over and we don't really care that much about just listing accomplishments. That's not a great way of presenting yourself as a candidate. What he's doing here that is really smart, is he's likening himself to Reagan. It was very subtle. It's very subtle. Maybe you didn't notice it. But he said, we are in an era like the 1970s with Jimmy Carter. Now, what happened in the 1970s with Jimmy Carter? Ronald Reagan came in, and he obliterated Carter, and he took the country by storm, and he improved the quality of life of every American, and he made America great again, really. But one thing that Reagan had that was Fantastic, better than possibly any other president in history, including Donald Trump, was Reagan was very funny. He was very, very charming. Now, Trump has that as well. Trump is very funny as well. And maybe Trump will get mad at me for saying this, but I don't care. I think Reagan was just a little bit better with the comedy and with the charm. He was Amazing, an amazing speaker. They called him the great communicator. Ron DeSantis is—I don't know—maybe call him the disabled communicator. He's—he's—he's <laughs> he's, he's communication disabled. He—he—he's great with policy. He knows his stuff, but he lacks that dynamic, charismatic, comedic quality that great speakers have. And I don't really know why. Uh, there's no real reason not to inject comedy unless you're not really capable of delivering comedy. So. That might be a, a possibility. And if that's true, if he, if he just doesn't have an ability to deliver a joke, I don't think he stands any chance against Donald Trump. Because it's those moments, it's those comedic, comedically timed moments that is going to make or break a candidacy when you're in an actual debate face to face with somebody else, right? If Trump can come in with a, with a, a great zinger at just the right moment, it's going to crush Ron DeSantis. So that is my prediction based on all the interviews I've seen with DeSantis, all the speeches, even his back and forth with the press, where he has a sort of antagonistic relationship with the press. That's my assessment. And that's my prediction. Once we go into the debates, I think Trump's going to crush him based on zingers and jokes alone. That's what I think. We're going to find out. We'll see if i'm right maybe when that happens or if it doesn't happen somebody can clip this and be like mr reagan's a genius or mr reagan's an idiot (laughs) you know one of the two but the truth is he does have a great record and of course he's going to tout that record so let's hear what else he has to say
1: if you were to become the president one of the first issues you would confront is inflation Uh, what would you do about inflation and do you believe it is linked to deficit spending and can deficit spending be addressed Without addressing mandatory spending or what people call entitlements?
2: Of course, the overspending is driving inflation. I mean, if you go back to March of 2020, you've seen massive amounts of debt added. You've seen the Federal Reserve print trillions and trillions of dollars. Anybody knew at the time, and people like our friend Thomas Massey were screaming from the rooftops at the time that it was going to lead to persistent inflation. So you need to spend less money. You also need to expand domestic energy production, energy costs contribute to inflation. We have an abundance of resources here that this president doesn't want to use. So we will reverse Biden's energy policies very quickly. But we also need a federal reserve that's going to focus on maintaining a stable dollar. They should not be the economic central planner uh, for our country. They're not accountable to anybody. They're not elected by anybody. And yet their printing of money has really thrust us into this. They said there wouldn't be inflation, and yet here we are. Now they've been hiking interest rates, and that hurts the economy. So we need a Fed focused on a stable dollar, uh, and don't worry about trying to manipulate the rest of the economy.
0: This is actually a really good point to make. I think he's going to win a lot of points with people who are critical of the Federal Reserve, uh, especially like libertarians, fans of Ron Paul and now Rand Paul. Trump has also been critical of the Federal Reserve, but not, with this same kind of intensity. I think this very specific focus on the Federal Reserve and criticizing them in this way, this was smart. This is a really good policy point that perhaps gives him a a point of distinction. All right, let's keep going. All
1: right, Governor, people hear words and sometimes use words like woke or culture wars. What is the role of the president in participating in culture WARS, AND and, and I'LL ASK YOU SPECIFICALLY ABOUT EDUCATION BECAUSE MANY CONSERVATIVES THINK THAT'S A STATE ISSUE, BUT THAT'S ALSO A BATTLEGROUND FOR WHAT PEOPLE CALL WOKE OR CULTURE WARS. AS PRESIDENT, WHAT ROLE DO YOU PLAY? I KNOW GOVERNOR, BUT AS PRESIDENT, WHAT ROLE WOULD YOU PLAY?
2: WELL, FIRST OF ALL, THE WOKE MIND VIRUS IS BASICALLY A FORM OF CULTURAL MARXISM. AT THE END OF THE DAY, IT'S AN ATTACK ON THE TRUTH. AND BECAUSE IT'S A WAR ON TRUTH, I THINK WE HAVE NO uh, CHOICE BUT TO WAGE A WAR ON WOKE. So how does that work for a president? Some of it may be the bully pulpit, being willing to tell the truth and not being diluted by ideology, which we see in many aspects of our society. There are probably ways, though, that you can make a difference. Certainly, when you look at ESG and some of the things that's going on with major financial institutions in corporate America, we have every right to be pushing back on that. With education, you know, the federal government approves the accreditors accredita- for universities. There's a reason why universities are infested with things like DEI. Yes, yeah, some of it is they may want to do that, but some of it is the accreditors tell them you have to do that. Well, as president, I'll make sure we're approving accreditors uh, that are going to do the opposite, They're, that are going to say, you know what, we're going to credit you if you are a colorblind university, if you're not trying to divide people uh, on the basis of race. So there are different tools at your disposal. It's not the same as the, as, a, as a governor, uh, but I think you can have an impact across a wide variety of different areas.
0: This was actually a great question. I, I really like the broad nature of the question. What's your position on the culture war and wokeness and that kind of thing? Just give him free reign to express himself. I think he gave a pretty good answer here. He expressed this in a way that I think a lot of people you know, agree with, of course. It's kind of a generic conservative answer to the question, but his initial phrasing I think was very good. But then he kind of went into the weeds a little bit. He used the term DEI. If anybody at the DeSantis campaign is listening, now I'm a Trump supporter, so this is just free advice whether you want to take it or not. You know, One, try to somehow... Make DeSantis more funny. Give him a little bit more playfulness. Allow him to tell jokes occasionally. Maybe have a list of jokes like Reagan used to do. Reagan used to write down jokes that he liked and then he would tell them occasionally. Give him some anecdotes. Give him some jokes. But then also try to stay away from acronyms and esoteric language. There are certain terms like DEI that of course I'm going to understand because this is what I do every day. A lot of like hardcore policy people, people who watch Mr. Reagan are going to know what DEI is. But a lot of the people in the general public, they don't know what that means. So they're just going to like, their eyes are going to glaze over. You've got to say diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you say diversity, equity, and inclusion, people know what that means. They don't know what DEI is. You say DEI and people are like, huh, what? Is that a pharmaceutical company? I don't know what that is. And so they they get lost very quickly. So suddenly you just lost your audience because you said DEI. Simple, simple, Right. Do not let him use acronyms like that. Okay, CIA you can use, FBI you can use, people know those. Don't use terms like CRT, right? Say critical race theory. If You say CRT, people don't know what that is. And if you have to use one like ESG, like everybody says ESG, nobody says environmental and social governance or whatever it is. Nobody ever says that. But if you use something like ESG, then you have to explain it, right? You have to talk about what ESG means and specifically identify the fact that you're using a term that people don't understand. So I think maybe there's such a thing as being too knowledgeable. Like, DeSantis doesn't understand how little policy and political knowledge most Americans have. So he's getting into the details here, and I just think a lot of Americans are going to get lost real quick. You can talk about these things. You can talk about the details, but you do have to explain the things that people might not understand and be careful not to use esoteric language. One advantage that Trump always had was that he spoke in a language that people understood. And he was criticized for that by the mainstream media, which only made him stronger. All right, let's listen to the rest of what Ron DeSantis has to say.
1: Governor, you were on the Judiciary Committee. You were on the Oversight Committee. You had a very close-up view of the Department of Justice and the FBI. If you become president... Uh, what would you do to change or fix both of those entities? What are you looking for in an attorney general? And would you keep Chris Ray as the director of the FBI?
2: No, I would not keep Chris Ray as director of the FBI. There would be a new one on day one. I think that's very important. In terms of an attorney general, you need someone that's got a really strong backbone. You need somebody that knows if you're going in there and you're taking care of business, The Washington Post is not going to like you. New York Times is not going to like you. You're going to get attacked by CNN. And you got to wear that as a badge of honor. You can't try to please polite society, because otherwise you'll just get captured uh, by the institution itself. And I think the DOJ and FBI have lost their way. I think that they've been weaponized against uh, Americans who think like me and you. Uh, and I think that they've become very partisan. Part of the reason that's happened, Trey, is because Republican presidents have accepted the canard that the DOJ and FBI are, quote, independent. They are not independent agencies. They are part of the executive branch. They answer to the elected president of the United States. So, as president, you have a responsibility to be involved in holding those agencies accountable, clearing out people who are not doing the job, and making sure that they're doing the people's business and they're not abusing their authority. For example, if the FBI or DOJ would ever collude with a tech company to try to censor information, everybody involved with that would be fired immediately if I were the president. And right now, I think those agencies have been able to go without any real accountability. And so guess what, when there's no accountability, the bad behavior is gonna continue.
0: This was a perfect question and a perfect answer. Uh, In fact, when I was talking to my father about this interview, this was the segment that he specifically mentioned as being impressive. Uh, This was definitely impressive. This is the kind of thing that you want to hear from a Republican candidate. This is the kind of thing that I don't think that it's a benefit for a candidate to agree with another candidate who is their opposition. But occasionally it's a good idea. And I think in this case, if somebody were to ask Trump about DeSantis's position on getting rid of the FBI. This is one of those rare moments when Trump would have to say something like, yeah, actually, I completely agree with Ron DeSantis. I would do exactly the same thing and then elaborate on what he would do and how he would get rid of the people at the FBI. This is something that is absolutely critical to every Republican. We cannot have an FBI that goes after parents, uh, a DOJ that goes after parents. We cannot have these agencies going after January 6th protesters who are just ordinary Americans, patriots, who genuinely felt like there was a problem with our government and wanted to go protest peacefully, and now they're being arrested and held in prison indefinitely. We cannot have an FBI that conspires with Democrat candidates against the Republican candidate, undermining the democratic process in America. This FBI is corrupt. I don't care if a lot of the people that were involved in Operation Crossfire Hurricane have left the FBI. They are still arresting January 6th protesters. They're still going after... Conservatives, all right. The FBI is still corrupt and still needs to be cleaned out, right? The cancer needs to be extracted. I'm not sure that Ron DeSantis has the experience that Donald Trump does, right? Um, Donald Trump was a rookie in the first four years of his presidency. He developed an understanding of what to do, you know, for his next four year term because he was denied that next four years. He wasn't able to execute whatever plan was in place, and in fact, since that 2020 election, we we've even been able to expose even more corruption. So perhaps Donald Trump has a very good plan for the next four years. But he's been in the White House; he knows better, I think, how to deal with that than Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis would come in as a rookie. Yes, he has more knowledge than Trump did when he started, but I don't think he has anywhere near as much uh, experience and knowledge as Trump has. Uh, going in. And Trump can emphasize that. Trump can say, look, Ron DeSantis has the right plan. I don't think he would have the slightest idea how to execute that plan. I do right? And Trump could even say, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do exactly, because I don't want the people who I'm going to target, I don't want them to know. I want to be able to deal with this in an effective way. And if people know what my plans are, they might be able to counter that. So just so you know, I have a plan, and I will execute it as soon as I get back to the White House. And he could say something like, Ron DeSantis cannot have a plan because he's not been there and he doesn't know what to do. I think that would be a very effective uh, line for Trump. And I don't know how DeSantis would counter that. I don't think there's any counterpoint to that. And on that point that that you should occasionally agree with your uh, opponent, I think that DeSantis should aggressively defend Donald Trump whenever anybody asks about the E. Gene Carroll lawsuit or the accusations against Donald Trump uh, with the Georgia election or any of these witch hunts. I think that Ron DeSantis should become Trump's most vocal supporter when asked about those things specifically, because that's about justice. It's not really about Donald Trump specifically. It's about justice. So in that case, you can defend your opponent, not because you like him in particular, but because you care about justice. And then you come across as somebody with integrity. It doesn't really look like you're supporting your opponent. It looks like you're a man of integrity. But yeah, I liked everything that Ron DeSantis said here. I think that this is the perfect tack. And I actually think that Trump should be more aggressive talking about how he's going to gut the FBI. Uh, He does talk about it. Uh, You know, I I saw his speech at CPAC. It was perfect. But this point in particular, he could be more aggressive on. I think Ron DeSantis killed it here.
1: Legal immigration, illegal immigration, President Ron DeSantis... Does what? Does what on border security? Does what on the asylum process? What is your immigration plan for both legal and illegal immigration?
2: Day one, it's a national emergency. We'll mobilize all resources to construct the border wall, shut the border down. We're not going to be entertaining asylum claims for people coming across the border illegally. Uh, We're going to make very clear about that. Uh, We're going to have things like remain in Mexico, so we don't have the incentives to come illegally. We do need to hold these Mexican drug cartels accountable, uh, and we'll be looking at levers that we can pull to be able to do that. Uh, At the end of the day, nobody has a right to come to our country illegally. We the American people can determine what type of immigration system that we want. I think the purpose of immigration is to benefit our country. And so if people coming illegally does not benefit, which I don't think it is, then we shouldn't do it. Um, I think the legal immigration system needs to be geared, though, towards assimilating people. We used to do a pretty good job of that. Now it's almost like we try to incentivize people to come and not want to assimilate uh, into our country. So we're going to be very strong on the border. Uh, We'll finally get that done and take care of it, because Republicans have been asking about this for years and years and years. I can tell you, Trey, when I tell people I'm going to do something, I follow through. I'll use all the levers at my disposal to be able to get it done. And we will finally put this issue to bed once and for all.
0: This is a solid answer, but it was a pretty generic answer. I think it was the kind of stock answer that you would expect from any conservative candidate. Uh, how does How does DeSantis distinguish himself on this issue? Um, I think that what he should say is something like, we need deterrence. We can't just bring back all of Trump's policies. We need even more policies. We need stronger policies. We need ICE to be able to go in. And if there's an illegal immigrant who breaks the law here in America, and they're processed, and they're put into prison, or put in through the system, or even if they're given a fine, or if they're given some kind of you know, light sentence, it needs to be a matter of policy in America that if you are here illegally, you will be deported. You know, anytime somebody is caught committing a crime, if they're illegal, they will be deported. That's it. Put heavy fines on any companies that hire illegal immigrants so that illegal immigrants have no work. You can't hire an illegal immigrant for your business here in America or you will be fined massively. That will stop all illegal immigrants from coming to America because they would have no work. So there needs to be more than just the Trump policies. We need to not only stop the flood of immigrants coming into the country, we need to actually reverse the trend. That is, we need to reduce the number of illegal immigrants that are here now. If we could actually get a reduction of the number of illegal immigrants in America that exist today over the next four years, that would be a hell of a victory. And if he were to take a position that was that strong on illegal immigration, I think he could actually win over a lot of voters. All right, let's hear the next question.
1: Does your immigration plan include a wall the completion of a wall a full wall on the on the on the border with Mexico? Yes.
2: Yeah, we will construct the border wall. I think it's too big of a border to only rely on personnel. You need to have that physical wall. And if we had a physical wall on the southern border, Biden would not be able to get away with as much shenanigans as he's getting away. The reason he's allowing the border to be open is because you have wide open spaces across thousands of miles of the border. Uh, That wall would stop a lot of that illegal immigration. And if there's other points where they're trying to do, then that's where you put the personnel. So I want a full wall uh, and we will mobilize whatever resources we need, including the military, to get it done.
0: This was actually a really good answer, primarily because that's something that a lot of uh, critics of Donald Trump, who are conservatives, point to. They say, well, he didn't finish the wall. Okay, it was pretty dang difficult for Trump to finish that wall, uh, considering that he had you know, the opposition of Congress and so many rhino conservatives weren't giving him what he needed in the first couple of years. But yes, yeah, so Trump didn't finish it. Yeah, I mean, Trump says that, yeah, I finished the wall, I finished the wall. Well, he really didn't. And so what Ron DeSantis is saying here is totally legitimate. And it's a little bit of a dig at Trump without specifically saying Trump failed to f- complete the wall. He's saying, uh, you know, there are sections that are wallless and we need to put a wall in there. And people kind of know what that means, right? They They know that this is to some degree, a sort of vague criticism of Donald Trump without being a direct criticism of Donald Trump. And so I think it's fine. I think it's fantastic. I think that strategically, this is a great answer. And just in terms of policy, this is a great answer.
1: How did the dispute or fight or whatever word people want to use with Disney begin? And how does it end? Well, in Florida, we believe in the protection of children
2: we believe it's inappropriate to be jamming things like transgender ideology into elementary school classrooms. And we had a bill to protect parents and children from that uh, in Florida. Disney opposed it. Uh, they tried to tank it. They usually get whatever they want in, throughout history in Florida. But with me as governor, that wasn't going to fly. We signed the bill uh, and we protected our kids. Uh, but I think Disney has gone down the road of wanting to put sexualization in the children's programming so the company, I think, has lost its way in terms of the values that maybe they had when Walt established it or when it first started in Florida. What ended up happening, though, is that they had this cushy arrangement that they got decades ago where they had their own government in central Florida. They were exempt from laws that everyone else had to follow. And they get, were got massive tax breaks and even racked up municipal debt. So what we said was, look. We're not comfortable having this company on a pedestal joined at the hip with the state of Florida. Our values have just gone in different directions. And so we ended their self-governing status. They now have to live under the same laws as everybody else, and they have to pay their fair share of taxes. So they're suing us to try to recover their corporate welfare. Uh, You have no right to corporate welfare. Florida is a great business environment. People are making money hand over fist. But it's just not good enough for them to live like Universal or SeaWorld. They want to have their own special arrangement. But there's a new sheriff in town, uh, and that's not going to happen. And at the end of the day, uh, we will never waver uh, in our defense of families and children. And as a father of a 6, a 5, and a 3-year-old, I strongly believe that parents should be able to send their kids to school, have them watch cartoons, or just be kids without someone trying to shove an agenda down their throats.
0: This is, I think, probably DeSantis's most winning issue. Uh, this is fantastic. His war with Disney, people love it. Uh, people are sick and tired of Disney, as he says, cramming their, their woke agenda down the throats of parents and kids. Even kids, I mean, it's it's despicable. And he's 100% right. Uh, Disney was sort of acting as their own sort of de facto government within Florida. And when you have this a government uh, within the government of Florida, you have this smaller government, Disney, that's not a real government. It's just sort of given the powers of a government, you know, by the generosity of the politicians there in Florida. And you have this moral conflict between the two. Yeah, the people giving you the powers to function as your own little government. If they're if they don't agree with your values, yeah, they can take your governmental powers away from you. And so that's what Ron DeSantis is doing. And I don't really understand why Disney isn't complying more with what DeSantis wants. They should be playing ball instead of trying to go against him, but You know, they've got to put up this pretense of, you know, we're super woke and, you know, we don't like Ron DeSantis. Well, that might be good for a small percentage of your customer base, but Disney has lost most of its customer base. And I think they'd be better off just going, you know what, DeSantis is right. We shouldn't be indoctrinating kids into a woke agenda and sexualizing children's content. And they should shift back to being a wholesome company with wholesome programming and movies and stuff like that. Disney has actually shifted to become like the flagship LGBTQIA plus company. And uh, why Disney? Why a kid's company? That's that's pretty disturbing. Now, a lot of people are criticizing Trump for not uh, defending DeSantis more with this Disney thing. I think Trump's finding trying to find a way to attack DeSantis in any possible way he can. He made the point, I think it was on Truth Social, that uh, going after Disney in this way is going to potentially reduce uh, revenue for the state. I don't think that's actually true, but, you know, he's looking at it and he's analyzing it, you know, as a businessman. This is one of those instances where I think Trump would be better off saying, I love what DeSantis did with Disney in Florida, right? Just as simple as that. And you just show, again, that you have integrity, right? That you have a certain set of ethical standards that are unyielding, right? You are principled, you know, I, he may be my opposition, but I respect what he did against Disney in Florida. I think that's the position Trump needs to take. All right. Next question.
1: Is that an example of something Governor DeSantis might uh, become involved with, but President DeSantis would not? I mean, the president has a different role. There, there would not be that, I guess, interconnectivity with a private business. Or, or do you think it's also appropriate for a president to do that?
2: Well, if there was somehow a federally conferred private government given to a corporation, like you had with Disney, then that could potentially be something that you would do. But I don't think that that exists anywhere else in the country. So I think this was a unique setup involving the state of Florida and this one company. And it started many, many decades ago. But clearly, it's not something that was viable uh, going forward. So I just don't think you would have the same set of facts Uh, a president vis-a-vis what a governor would do in this situation. But we will, as president, lean in against woke ideology and against the sexualization of children. It's wrong, Trey, what they're trying to do to these kids. We're not going to abide by it. And in Florida, we say we're the state where woke goes to die you know, as president, I'm going to make sure woke ideology ends up in the dustbin of history.
0: You know, I love that tough language. That's something that uh, DeSantis is really good at. He's good at taking a very firm stance against wokeness. And uh, I I think that might be something that he adopted a little bit from Trump. Trump accuses DeSantis of mimicking his style, right? And uh, I think that possibly that's true a little bit. Donald Trump kind of invented the Trumpian style. So when Trump does it, it's very authentic. When DeSantis does it, when you if you think about it as him trying to be more Trump-like, it does seem a little bit less authentic than how Trump does it. Trump is, of course, much more natural with it because he invented it. That's just who Trump is. Um, with DeSantis, I think that it's a little bit forced. He's definitely trying to take a, a hard stance against things because of the sort of populist style of Donald Trump. But I don't think that it it's any kind of a deception. I think that R- Ron DeSantis really believes what he's saying. He's just learned how to express things in this very uh, confident and and definite way, taking these firm stances. Um, so I don't think that it is inauthentic. I just don't think it comes across as authentic as when Trump says stuff like this. Maybe you disagree. You can let me know in the comments below. But I don't think that I'm not trying to say that he's not authentic. I'm just trying to say that Trump's style is a little bit more convincing. But I do think that what DeSantis is saying is accurate to his actual views. I think that he's being honest. All right, next question.
1: Is it really the best position for conservatives to, to argue that there should be 50 different definitions of when life begins? Or should that be? Um, should that be the same definition for the entire country, given the fact the word does, does exist in the U.S. Constitution?
2: Well, I have been proud as governor to stand for a culture of life, and I think all Republicans need to do that. As you alluded to, we were able to sign uh, legislation protecting unborn child with a detectable heartbeat. And we think that that's a humane thing to do, uh, and it's similar to what Governor Reynolds did in Iowa, uh, and I applaud her for that. Uh, Dobbs returned the issue to the elected representatives of the people. And so I think that there's a uh, there's role for both the federal uh, and the states. Uh, I think, at the end of the day, uh, fighting for life and protecting life uh, really is a bottom-up movement. I think we have been able to have great successes um, at the local level. I am concerned about a Democratic administration with a trifecta trying to nationalize uh, abortion all the way up until birth. That would be a violation of what states like Florida have done. Uh, to protect life it would be a violation of what states like iowa have done uh, to protect life and i think that that would be an abuse of power uh, for them to try to override every single pro-life protection in this country and allow abortion all the way up to the moment of birth which 90 percent of americans find to be truly horrific this
0: is a really difficult issue because uh, and i and i differ a little bit because i i'm i'm pro-life but I believe that life begins at conception. So, you know, I'm kind of an extreme with that. Uh, and, you know, it, it's one of those really difficult issues because it is not a popular issue. I would say that there's a significant number of Republicans that are pro-choice, right? Philosophically, I think life begins at conception. So, you know, that's a really difficult issue politically, because then how do you talk about that if, that if you really have a strong position like that? Because it comes from an ethical code, right? And that's not something that's easily negotiated. Like, how do you negotiate with a principled ethical position that you have? If I think that life begins at conception, how do I then justify allowing Any kind of an abortion to be legalized at any stage of development, that's a difficult position for me to be put in. I think as a politician, you do have to sometimes recognize that your moral position may not align with the public's and you sometimes will have to concede that, you know, the public has to be allowed to do what the public feels is right sometimes, even if you disagree with them. So being a politician, sometimes you have to make those really difficult compromises. I think that's kind of the ugliest part of being a politician, is that you can't always do what you believe is right just because the public is against you, and you you don't really have any room to negotiate that, right? Uh, you just kind of have to go along with it because it's what the public demands. You know, a lot of people may disagree with me. Again, you can write in the comments below, But if you want to be a viable candidate for a political office, sometimes you do have to compromise certain values, not personally, but in terms of policy. How do I go about governing this region or governing this country? It's not a position I would want to be in. But I can understand how that is a difficult ethical dilemma for many politicians. But I think Governor DeSantis handled this question very well. And uh, I'm curious what you guys think about this. Abortion really isn't one of my primary issues in terms of the kinds of policies that I like to discuss or or think about. I have a pretty much standard position on it. It's a very, very old issue. Um, it's been around since Roman times. Not a lot of people know this, but the first, I think the first documented debate about the abortion issue was Christians in Rome. Christians believed that life began at conception, and Romans uh, believed that you could, I think, kill a child, like, even after birth, like, in their infancy. And so Christians were against that, and that's when the abortion debate happened. So this debate has existed for almost 2,000 years, and it's still going on today. So it's a tough one, but I think he he handled it well. Again, let me know what you guys think in in the comments section below.
1: Uh, well, let's pick California and, and, and Idaho. Is, is that just the price we pay for federalism that, that life begins at conception in Idaho, but it begins much, much, much later in California? Is that, is that the price that, that we pay for federalism?
2: I don't think it's the price you pay for federalism. I think that there's just a the practical reality that the country's divided on the issue. And so the question is, you know, how are you going to be able to save, you know, more lives And I think, obviously, Idaho is going to be able to do a lot on their own. They would not be able to do as much uh, if they ran it all through Washington, D.C. So some of this is a matter of strategy. Some of it is a matter of, you know, what could you do to be able to advance the ball forward? Clearly, in California, you know, you are going to have very, very hostile views. They want to have um, abortion all the way up till birth. I think they actually allow it post-birth if you can believe that, which I think is truly horrific.
0: This was a great answer, very measured, very sensible. Um, The problem with Ron DeSantis, as I mentioned before, is that he's just not funny. This is a very serious issue, and you can't really joke around too much about the abortion issue. And so you have to be sort of serious, and you have to be sort of uh, humorless about this particular subject, but that can be softened a little bit By joking around when you're talking about some of the other issues uh, that we're dealing with in America right now, if he had made jokes consistently throughout this interview and then you get to the abortion issue and then he's very serious suddenly, I think that contrast, that dynamic would be much more engaging. So uh, although I think he's doing a really good job in this interview and I think that he's very impressive and everything that he says I agree with, in terms of your charisma as a politician, he, he, he has a little bit of work to do, I think.
1: All right. You uh, wore the uniform. If you are elected president, you may be the first one in a while uh, to have worn the uniform. How would you address the ongoing war in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine on day one of a Ron DeSantis presidency?
2: Well, first, I think what we need to do as a veteran is recognize that our, our military uh, has become politicized. Uh, You talk about gender ideology, you talk about things like global warming that they're somehow concerned, and that's not the military that I served in. We need to return our military uh, to focusing on uh, commitment, focusing on the core values and the core mission. That would be something that I could take care of on day one. There will be a new sheriff in town as commander in chief, and I think you'll see recruiting Start to get back to where it needs to be because people don't want to join a woke military. And I think it's been really, really problematic. Look, in terms of what's going on over in Eastern Europe, um, you know, I'd like to see a settlement of this. I do not want to see a wider war. I think it's completely unknowable what it will look like in January of 2025. uh, But I would not want to see the United States with our troops. Uh, get enmeshed uh, in a war in Russia or in Ukraine?
0: Okay, I don't actually like this answer. The first half was great, okay? He has experience in the military. The military has gone woke. Let's fix that. You know, that's one problem that DeSantis is going to have moving forward is that he's not a problem solver in terms of his work experience, right? If you own a business, that is your primary job right? As a business owner, your primary job is problem solving day in and day out for decades. That's all Trump's done. So being the executive of the United States of America, he can go in and solve problems. DeSantis doesn't have that record, right? DeSantis, you know, he never owned a business. He doesn't know how to run a corporation like Trump does. And that's essentially what the president does. So for him to go in and solve all these problems, Trump can always go in and say, I'm going to be able to do better because I've been doing this for decades. DeSantis has no experience solving these kinds of problems. I do. I can go in and I can fix the military. But Ron DeSantis can say, but I was in the military and you weren't. And that's a good point of difference. He can use that. So the first half of his his answer was great. The second half of his answer, I don't want to see American troops over there uh, in Eastern Europe big mistake. I think that what Trump would say if he was asked uh, about sending troops over, he would say, look, nothing's off the table. I don't want to tell you what my strategy is. I don't want to tell you how far I'm willing to go because, you know, I want Putin to be concerned that I'm willing to enter into thermonuclear war and just nuke the hell out of Russia. Like, I want him to believe that I'd be willing to go that far. And maybe I would be willing to go that far. We'll see. We'll see what it takes to figure out how to bring an end to the Russia Ukraine conflict but we need to ne- negotiate our way out of that conflict and I don't want to take anything off the table and <clears throat> you know you can't talk about this stuff ahead of time because then you tip off your opponent as to the limits that you're willing to stop at right you know, you expose your own limitations and you neutralize your own negotiating power that way so DeSantis made a big mistake there. Trump can really hit him on that if he wants to. If he ever makes that same mistake again, I think Trump will hit him on that. So DeSantis has to be very careful about exposing what he would do militarily. You never really want to tip your hand with uh, with military tactics ever. And so I think this answer was a mistake.
1: Governor, there is a very, very slight chance that you will pick up a nickname at some point in the next couple of days or weeks. Um certainly perhaps from one, uh, one fellow contender, maybe from more than one, I don't know, how do you run a robust campaign uh, in, a, in a vast and varied field and still bring everyone back? Because whoever the Republican nominee is is going to have to have everyone uh, to win the general election. So how do you run robustly, um, even sometimes when it's going to be tough, uh, and still keep supporters of other candidates?
2: Well, look, uh, I don't mind being called different things. I've been called everything but a child of God as it is. Uh, so that doesn't phase me. And uh, you can call me whatever you want. Uh, just make sure you call me a winner because that's what we've done in the state of Florida. And that's exactly what we would do nationally, not only in the election, uh, but actually bringing all these great policies to bear. Uh, I can tell you, Trey, in Florida, we united the Republicans like no one's ever done. I think I got 98%. Of Republicans in my reelection. Uh, we also really expanded the tent, And I think that's the only way that you can do it. Uh, there will be slings and arrows, but I'm a big boy. I can take it. You know, there's a lot of people that have given a lot more than that. Uh, So that this country can be free. You can see uh, their tombstones in places like Arlington National Cemetery. So if the sacrifice I have to make is people are going to call me names, uh, that pales into comparison with so many people have done for me uh, throughout history so that I could live in a free country.
0: That's actually a a pretty funny question. I like the question. It was a fine answer. Uh, DeSantis gave a good answer, but I think uh, he could have had a little more fun with that and uh, been a little bit more playful. Uh, I don't know why Trey Gowdy didn't mention Trump by name. That was I don't know if that was an agreement that was made between DeSantis and Trey Gowdy before the uh, interview. I'm not really sure why he didn't mention Trump, but he said uh, there's one candidate in particular that you can expect that from. I, that was weird, right? I don't know what that was. That's like you're going to pretend that Trump doesn't exist? Well, <laughs> Trump exists, and uh, you're going to have to face up to that fact pretty soon. So I don't know why you wouldn't mention his name. But it's a funny question. I like the question. Maybe he, he could have even given Trump a nickname there. Maybe he could have uh, riddled off, oh, we got a list here of uh, names that we're thinking about hitting Trump back with. How about this? How about this one? How about that one? And if they're funny, and if they're good, then you know everybody has a good laugh, and you move on to the next question, right? You know, he might even say, tweet me, let me know what you guys think the best, uh, the best nickname for Donald Trump is. And, uh, you know, we'll have a little bit of fun with that. I think that would have been great, right? That would have been great. I don't think Desanctimonious is a particularly good nickname. I think uh, Ron Disaster might be better. Uh, although Ron isn't a disaster, he's done a great job in Florida. So that, that one might be a difficult one to make stick as well. But decent answer. But like I said, he could have had a lot more fun with it.
1: Day one. Uh, You you mentioned noon on Inauguration Day, day one, you get to the White House. What is the first thing President Ron DeSantis would do? And what are the first three things that you would try to do legislatively? So first thing you would do executive with your executive power, and then what what would be your first three priorities legislatively?
2: Well, so I I think we said, you know, the border, uh, there's a lot you can do. Ripping out uh, Biden's anti American energy policies, which you probably could do most of that executive. You'll probably need to do some of that uh, legislative as well. Uh, and then reconstitutionalizing the administrative state. Uh, we have a bureaucracy that's totally out of control. You need to be willing to use Article II power uh, to bring the administrative state to heel. I will do that. I think Congress also has a role in reining in the abuses through both the power of the purse and through making sure that they're legislating clear and defined laws that aren't delegating huge swaths of power uh, to unelected bureaucrats. Trey, one thing I think we can do legislatively is national school choice. Uh, We've done it in Florida. It's made a huge difference for low-income families. I look at places like Chicago and Baltimore and L.A. The teachers' unions run those areas. I don't think there's any way that you're ever going to give those kids a lifeline unless we come in through a tax credit program uh, and offer scholarships to some of these kids. But as it is now, uh, these kids have no chance in those dysfunctional environments. This would be a major lifeline. I think we can get it done, and I think it'd make a big difference.
0: Fantastic answer. Concise. Listed things people understood perfectly. One small criticism, again, he uses this esoteric language, the administrative state. Yeah, a lot of people that are in politics, a lot of people who study politics and who do the news and stuff like that, YouTubers like myself, maybe we understand what he's talking about, but a lot of Americans don't know what he's talking about right uh the administrative state he's essentially talking about the deep state people embedded in office they shouldn't be making major executive decisions for the nation you know that should be the elected officials doing that he needs to explain that more clearly and not use that kind of very inside baseball language. And it's not a problem for that. I think that little moment wasn't a huge issue. But if he consistently does that throughout the campaign, I think that's going to be a problem for him. So his people need to rein him in in terms of using that kind of, you know, specific political language that regular Americans just don't understand. But yeah, he made a lot of very solid points, touched on a lot of specific issues that Americans care about. Great answer,
1: Governor. You represent a state surrounded by by, by oceans, uh, by water, and 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 have had a series of hurricanes. What is your view on climate change, and and what is the role of government, um, in in addressing it?
2: The hurricanes are not; uh, they have not increased in number. People try to say when we had Ian that it was because of climate change, but if you look at the first sixty years. Uh, from 1900 to 1960. We had more major hurricanes hit Florida than in the 60 years since then. uh, This is something that's a fact of life uh, in the Sunshine State. Uh, I've always rejected the politicization uh, of the weather. Uh, And I think what we should be doing in the United States is focusing on being energy independent, making sure we're utilizing the resources. And oh, by the way, uh, when you have market-based solutions, when you innovate, In Florida, we've seen emissions go down dramatically in the last 10 years. uh, But that's through market and innovation. That is not through mandates. And I think what Biden wants to do, he wants to take us in a direction where we're like Germany, where we don't have a reliable power grid, where prices spike. I mean, California, for example, they have a tough time keeping the lights on, and yet they want to ban the internal combustion engine. People are going to plug in, what, another 20 million EVs? How are they going to be able to support that? So we got to get real here. We got to understand that uh, reliable energy is something that is absolutely essential for a free society. And we will make sure to deliver that as president.
0: Very solid answer. Very measured answer. He's not alienating moderates who might believe in climate change by saying, you know, in Florida, we've reduced emissions and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't really believe climate change hysteria at all. Uh, And so I might have a a worse answer than he had because I would be a lot more extreme with it. Just say like it's a bunch of BS really.
1: President Ron DeSantis would deal with China how?
2: To recognize that there are foremost geopolitical threat. Uh, I think our economies have become way too intermingled. If you look during the Soviet era, we were never intermingled with their economy. Now we have critical things that we rely on our foremost adversary for, during COVID, it was almost everything. So I think we need to reshore some of these critical manufacturing items. Uh, I think we need to have a robust relationship with Japan, Korea, India, uh, Australia, to make sure that we can check uh, Chinese expansionism in the Pacific. We also have to recognize that China is getting a foothold in our own Western hemisphere. I think we need a 21st-century version of the Monroe Doctrine, uh, where we're making sure that our own backyard uh, is a freedom zone. We have got a lot of leftist governments in Latin America that have invited them in. Uh, I think that's really bad for our national security, uh, but we have to understand that China is a threat. I think Biden, for whatever reasons, uh, has, been, uh, has been lack on China. And I think he's begging China uh, to do some type of a deal with uh, Ukraine and Russia. And I think that would be a mistake to involve Xi in that. This
0: is a good policy answer. Uh, I mean, it's solid, but boring. I think he could have had a lot of fun with this. I think he should attack Joe Biden a lot more strongly on this. I don't know why he doesn't. He said, uh, you know, Biden is lax on China for whatever reason. I think he should have jumped right in at the very start and gone. Well, for one thing I won't be taking bribes from the Chinese like Joe Biden has done, right? You, you just you just jump in with that accusation, right? You state it as fact. We know it's true. We've seen all the documentation. We've seen with this new investigation with the shell uh, companies that the Biden set up, the Biden family set up. We know they were taking bribes. So for Ron DeSantis to not jump in with that and just plainly say Joe Biden was taking bribes from China and I won't be doing that so I won't have any kind of conflict of interest there. I'm not compromised so that's a start, right? That's a pretty good start. That's funny. That's funny because it's it's a it's more aggressive than you would expect and it's unusual that somebody would state something like that so aggressively out loud on such a high profile show, right? So I think he should have done that. I think that's that's the kind of thing that would help Ron DeSantis, if he was really serious about becoming the next president, unless he kind of switches things up and is a little bit more funny and is a little bit more dynamic and is a little bit more aggressive on certain things, I I just don't see him having any kind of a chance against Donald Trump. But, I mean, it was a solid answer. It was just not a particularly entertaining answer or fun answer or charming answer. I, I think that he needs to be a little bit more dynamic, but solid on policy.
1: Do you plan on participating in all the debates, And would you have a word of counsel for any candidates that were maybe equivocating on whether or not to participate in all the debates?
2: I think we should debate. I think the people want to hear it. Uh, You know, I grew up blue collar, working minimum wage jobs and learned nobody's entitled to anything in this world. Trey, you've got to earn it. And I think all of us have to go out and earn it. That's exactly what I intend to do. And I think the debates are a big part of the process.
0: Yeah, good answer. Of course, uh, it is in Ron DeSantis's best interest to debate Donald Trump. I think he would get crushed. But look, there's always the possibility that Trump has a bad day and DeSantis has a good day and it elevates Ron DeSantis in the polls. It could happen. So um, it's a risk for Trump, for sure. I think that it's a risk that uh, that might be too great. I think Trump maybe should avoid the debates. Uh, it is something that I think w- would be good for America. It would be good for us to hear. But in terms of his own personal strategy for trying to uh, become the next nominee for the Republican Party, I think it's probably better if Trump does not debate. Would it make him look cowardly? Yeah, maybe to some people. But for the most part, I think Trump comes across as the right guy for the job. And I think that it's going to become clear over time. I don't think he will agree to debates. We'll see. Um, That's what they're talking about here. I still don't know why he's not mentioning Trump's name. That's a bizarre I don't know what the what the that's that's really strange. I don't know. Maybe that's like a Fox News thing now or something. We don't say the word Trump, but uh, I don't know. It's like you know we all kind of hate Fox News right now. So, but the reason I watch this is obviously because this was a very important moment, a very important day for the Republican primaries. You know, do I think that Ron DeSantis has a chance to become the nominee? Not really. Maybe like a 3% chance I'd give him. So, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibilities, but it's very, very unlikely. He does have a lot of support. I mean, there's a lot of people who absolutely love Ron DeSantis. I think that he should have held a rally in Florida, much like a Trump rally. That way, when he announced his candidacy, uh, we could have heard the cheer of the crowd, like the crowd erupts, they all go crazy. And then we see how much people love Ron DeSantis, and we see that his candidacy is viable. The way he announced on Twitter, it just was a fizzle. It was just nothing. It was the DeSantis disaster. I do think that the Trey Gowdy interview was a lot better. And so, you know, I think we have to look at this on balance and say, you know, how is he doing? I don't think he's doing that great, but uh, the interview was pretty good. And if he can continue to do interviews like that, I think he'll do okay, but I I still don't think he's anywhere in the same galaxy as Donald Trump in terms of his electability. I think Trump's got this nomination in the bag. Again, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. And remember, it's not that liberal friends are ignorant. It's just they know so much that is not so. Good night.
1: What is fascism? Fascism is private ownership, private enterprise, but total government control and regulation well isn't this the liberal philosophy the conservative so-called is the one that says less government get off my
0: back get out of my pocket and let me have more control of my own destiny